Amen. Let us go before the Lord in prayer. Hold on. Let us do this first. Let me turn this down. Sorry about that feedback. There we go. That should wake everybody up, right? <laughs> it was the sleepy. Amen. Let us go for the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you this morning first for the service so far. We thank you, Lord, for uh, the words that we've read, the songs that we have sung. We thank you, Lord, for the prayers that we have prayed. We thank you, Lord, for encouraging us through your word, through singing about you, and through praying to you, Lord. These are the means of grace that you have given to your church to be able to live by and to be able to grow by and to be able to uh, be encouraged by. Lord, we thank you this morning that we as a church hold your word as a supreme. We believe in the sufficiency of scripture, that scripture is sufficient for all of life. And Lord, we, we pray that as a church that we continue uh, to uphold your word, uh, to believe your word, to read your word, to trust in what you say in your word. Lord, your word is a light unto our feet and is a lamp unto our feet, rather, and a light unto our path. And Lord, we thank you that by your grace, uh, you pour your word into our hearts by means of your spirit. And I pray, Lord, that you continue to do that work that as you pour your word into our hearts, that we live out the word that you uh, plant into our hearts. As David said here in this very psalm that we've been uh, reading, Psalm 119, your word has he hidden in his heart that he may not sin against you. Lord, may we continue to hide your word in our hearts, to cherish it, to uphold it in our hearts, so that we may not sin against you. And then, Lord, when sin comes our way and knocks on our door, that we may walk away from it. And, Lord, we pray this morning uh, for Dolores in her absence that you uh, be with her. Uh, she doesn't have transportation right now. Pray, Lord, that you uh, make a way for her to be able to get her vehicle fixed because she uh, wishes to be here with the saints. Uh, we pray for Melissa, who wishes to be here also. Uh, for Maddox, who is ill, Lord, that you, you touch and heal him. And, Lord, that you be uh, with Melissa, uh, that you may encourage her in the Holy Spirit. Uh, also, Lord, as she's at home longing to be here uh, with us, that you continue to work in her and through her to your glory. Lord, we pray for um, Haley and Jerry, who are on vacation with their parents, that you, you be with them, that they enjoy this time uh, with their mom and dad as they get ready for this school year, but Lord, that you, uh, your spirit be with them where uh, they are also. Lord, we pray for any of our church members in here this morning who are dealing with various afflictions, whether in health, whether on jobs, whether uh, financially, spiritual afflictions, Lord, where they're being uh, attacked uh, by the enemy of our soul, by the world, the flesh, and the devil. Lord, that we all, as we read earlier today, uh, put on the whole arm of God, that we may be able uh, to withstand in the evil day, uh, that we may be able to uh, withstand uh, when Satan comes up against us, 
Because, Lord, we know that evil will persist until Christ returns. But, Lord, until then, give us the courage to stand against evil. Give us the courage to resist the temptation to sin. Give us the courage, Lord, to resist the temptation to be discouraged, to be uh, despondent about the state of this world, to be despondent about the sin that lies within us. And, Lord, may we instead gird ourselves with your truth, the truth that has been revealed uh, in your word. And Lord, may we uh, put on the breastplate of righteousness, of righteous living, of holiness, and live in a holy life. And Lord, may our feet be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, that we may stand firm in the gospel, that we may stand firm in the truth that is found in the gospel. And Lord, that we may take on the shield of faith, faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That we may be able to quench all the fiery dots of Satan, all the temptations that come our way, all the temptations that he tries to bring our way, Lord. That we may stand in the faith that we have in Christ. In the helmet of salvation, Lord, knowing that we are saved. Although Satan may try to attack the true believer, that when the believer sins, that Satan may attack us and tell us, no, we're not saved. No, we're not one of your children. Lord, Satan inspires doubt in all believers. But Lord, may we wear that helmet of salvation, knowing that we are eternally secure, that once you save us, Lord, that you, you keep us, that we are kept by your power until the end, that you persevere us to the end. And Lord, bearing the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, that we use that to fend off Satan, that we use that, Lord, to fend off all the attacks that come up against us, the truth of Scripture, Lord. May we wield that sword of truth against Satan, against the lies of this world, against the lies of our culture, Lord. May we wield that, 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 that edge that sharp edge, that double-edged sword, which is your word. And Lord, most of all, may we do all this with prayer, praying always as believers, praying always for each other, praying always for the lost, praying always for those who are in authority, praying always for pastors that are on the front lines in shepherding their flocks, Praying always for people of God everywhere throughout the whole world, especially those who are suffering persecution. May we pray always with prayer and supplications in the Spirit, by the power of the Spirit, according to the Holy Spirit. And be watchful in prayer with all perseverance and with supplication for all the saints throughout the whole world. And, Lord, praying for the ministers of the gospel, as Paul said, for, for him that utterance may be given to him. And, Lord, we pray for all the true pastors that you may give them utterance to boldly proclaim the truth to their congregations. And, Lord, that the members of their congregation, including here at the Living Church and, and at Redeemer Church and at Christian Fellowship and at Anderson Bible and at Grace Fellowship and at Mountain View Church and, and at Iron City Baptist, Lord, that all these men as we proclaim the truth 
that our members will take that truth, internalize it, and live it out, and talk it out, and speak it out, and declare it. Give all of us utterance, Lord, that we may boldly make known the mystery of the gospel to all people. Father, we pray that you do that work in all of us. And Lord, I also pray for the ministry of FCA, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. We thank you for the work that uh, our dear brother Ryan Limbaugh is doing as being over uh, the Chiha uh, chapter of FCA, Lord, as they prepare for the football season and ministering to athletes and to coaches, and discipling athletes and discipling coaches to, to live as believers. We pray, Lord, that fruit may come from that ministry, fruit may come from the huddles that the huddle leaders are having with all the different athletes and all the different sports, even as we speak. They had a successful camp uh, uh, last month, I mean, earlier uh, in, in, in July with all the athletes, Lord, taking them out to uh, outside of Savannah, Lord, for FCA camp, and they're coming back bowling on fire to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ on their high school campuses, Lord. We pray that you continue to work in those teenagers to do that because the school is a battleground also for the gospel. And that's all the huddle leaders and character coaches and all the coaches that they're working with in their Bible studies, that coaches may lead their teams well and disciple their athletes to the glory of God. And Lord, now as I prepare to preach the parable of the hidden treasure and the pearl of great price, Lord, we will see this morning those who gave up all that they had to uh, attain it. And Lord, this parable is a picture of the kingdom of God, that what will we give in exchange for the kingdom? Father, I pray that as I preach you, fill me with your spirit to preach this text well, to exposit it well. And Lord, that you may send your spirit to illuminate the truths that we hear this morning to the listeners, including myself. Lord, may you use this message to encourage the faithful and to convict sinners and bring them to a saving faith in you. In Christ's name I pray, amen and amen. Amen. Let us turn to Matthew, the 13th chapter. We're continuing in our series, the parables in the gospel of Matthew. And this morning we're looking at uh, another twin parable just as we looked at last week. The parable of the hidden treasure and the pearl of great price. We'll find this in Matthew 13 verses 44 through 46. I mean, Matthew 13, 44 through 46 is a very uh, short parable. It reads, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls. Oh, begin at verse 44, Ronald. For, verse 44, sorry. 
Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Amen. The first parable is contained in a single verse, and the second parable contains two verses. So these are twin parables, and these parables show men who found and searched for something so valuable that they gave up all they had to attain it. That's what we see in these twin parables. The first man found, and these are just observations on the text, uh, the first man found a hidden treasure and hid it again. And instead of doing something with the treasure, you know, like selling it or, uh, you know, et cetera, he purchased the field he hid the treasure in. What will most people do with a hidden treasure today if they stumble upon one? What do you think most people do? Uh, I think most people would go to Facebook or go to Instagram or go to Twitter or go to some social media and, and post a video about it. Say, hey, look what I found or, or go on the news so that it could go viral. That's what most people are doing nowadays, right? When they find a hidden treasure, you'll hear about it on the news. And it's fascinating. Um, John MacArthur, in his book uh, on the parables, he told a story about something that happened in 2014. And I remember this story uh, when I saw it in his book. I, it, it recalled in memory. Uh, I'm sorry, my memory was recalling this incident that happened. And uh, he writes it here. Um, he says, in February 2014, this was something that went viral on the Internet. And this is long before social media was as it is now. Okay. It says, a Northern California couple were walking their dog on their own property when they spotted something beginning to emerge from under the dirt of the pathway. It was corroded. It was a corroded tin can that had been buried years before. Digging it up. They found more cans, all containing gold coins. More than 1,400 coins in total, valued at more than $10 million. The coins had been minted in San Francisco at various times between 1847 and 1894, you know, during the gold rush. One particular rare coin in the collection was valued at more than $1 million. The coins, uh, I'm sorry, uh, it was believed to be the most valuable hidden treasure ever uncovered in, in the United States. Most of the network news reports covering the story stressed the fact that the odds of winning the lottery are 700,000 times better than the chance of finding such a rare treasure. Don't go home and start digging up your backyard. <laughs> if you think about it, why, why do you think there's a metal detector industry. Sometimes when you go to the beach, you'll see people out there with metal detectors. Or some people may go in their backyard and, and you know, try to find, because people are looking for a certain hidden treasure 
or something of those means. Because everyone wants to be, you know, rich, find something, take it to an antique dealer, someone to certify that it's real, and then sell it on eBay or something like that, and, you know, make the news and make millions of dollars from finding such a rare treasure. And these people that found this, they just had me walking in their backyard and, and saw something coming up and saw one can and more cans and more cans and uh, they found tens of millions of dollars of uh, hidden treasures. Now you must understand that hiding treasure in a field uh, was more common in the Lord's day than uh, it is uh, today. Uh, Leon Morris in his commentary on this parable gives a culture background he says in a day when places for keeping things safe that we take for granted you know like safe deposits uh, in banks did not exist people had to make their own arrangements one method they employed was to bury their valuable possessions uh, just as the unprofitable servant did in the, in the talent uh, the parable of the talents in Matthew 25 you know uh, one of them the one that had one talent he hid his if anyone did this before uh, going off on a journey and failed to return, the possessions remained there and might be found later through a chance discovery like the one in this parable. He says, so too in frequent wars, people would hide valuables to keep them from looting soldiers and sometimes the owners would not survive. So in their day, people hid treasures so that they could come back and get them later. In hopes that they would even know where they, you know, know where they buried it at, because sometimes you might not even know. And especially nowadays, you have, you know, so many buildings going up. You may, you may bury something, uh, and then come back 20 years later, and they built the whole parking lot over. And you're like, it reminds me of this movie uh, by Martin Lawrence. I think it's called National Security, where he found he was robbing a bank or something like that, and he found this big old diamond, and then put it, I guess he hid like in a construction site or something like that, and then we, did he go to jail and, and come back out or something then he got there and there was a whole police plaza there, <laughs> and the whole movie was about him getting that, uh, you know, pretending that he was a police officer, pretending that he was the FBI to try to get to that uh, try to get to that diamond so it's almost kind of like the same thing, that was more in a in a comedic way so that was a cultural background, and this was something that was normal for uh, ancient Jewish culture for people to find treasures and hide them. That's why Jesus would even use that parable in the first place. Now in the second parable, uh, the merchant searched for beautiful pearls but found one pearl of great price, more valuable than the others he had searched for and he gave up all to purchase it. And we have to understand that in Christ's day a pearl was just as valuable or more valuable than a diamond. Because diamonds back then had not yet been minted as they are now. But to have a pearl was a big deal. It was like finding a giant diamond. You hear about people sometimes finding giant diamonds in the ground that are 20 or 30 or 40 carats that are worth uh, millions of dollars. But back in Christ's day in antiquity, having a pearl was a uh, big deal. And it's unfortunate that we do this in our day as we pursue a relationship or a pleasure or a recreational activity. Uh, we will give up all to pursue those things, but we don't do that to pursue the kingdom of God. But we'll give up all to pursue the things of this world. 
It's like Jesus said, what profit does it give to a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? Many people give up a lot. They'll compromise a lot to gain earthly fame, to gain earthly treasure, to pursue a relationship or a recreational activity at the expense of pursuing the kingdom of God. You think about scriptures like Matthew 6 and 33, which we'll get into, uh, where Jesus said, what, seek first the what? Kingdom of God and his righteousness. But many people fail to do that. But in the second parable, we see that this merchant searched for beautiful pearls and he found one that was of great price. So these parables uh, illustrate the value of the hidden kingdom as we've been talking about, which has now been revealed to the disciples that we saw in verses 16 and 17 of this same chapter. By means of the illuminating power of the spirit, the words treasure and pearls indicate the value attached to them. So the point of these parables is not about the behavior of the buyer or the seeker, but in the value of the treasure and the pearl and how they took all that was necessary to acquire. That was that was what the thrust of these parables are about. It's not about the the men. It's about the treasure treasures themselves. These men did not make a sacrifice because in doing so they would not have received anything in return. But in selling all that they had in order to acquire these treasures, they received something uh, of even greater value than what they had before. And that's how much worth the kingdom of God is. So the meaning of these two parables is essentially the same. The kingdom of God, which includes Christ, which includes the gospel, is more valuable than anything this world has to offer and the kingdom of God is worth giving up all to acquire it I'm going to say that again the kingdom of God which includes Christ the gospel etc is more valuable than anything this world has to offer anything and the kingdom of God is worth giving up all to Acquire it is infinitely worth more than anything else. So, in these parables, as our big idea, we will see the uh, conduct of true Christians and the conduct of the unconverted both explained. We're going to see both of these things in this parable. So, let's look at our two principles here. The first principle is the conduct of a true Christian. Okay. Just a question to think about, to ponder as we look at this text this morning. What do you count as gain in this world? What do you think is worth having in this life so much that you would give up all to acquire? Who or what do you treasure most in your heart? These are all very legitimate questions that we have to ask ourselves. What do you count as gain in this world? Is it earthly success? 
Is it a great relationship or marriage? Is it great children? Is it a college education? Is it being able to retire when you're 50 and get a house and a boat or travel the world? Is it visiting all 50 states, checking off your bucket list? Is it going viral on social media? What do you count as gain in this world? Those are serious questions that we have to think about. Because it leads to that next question. What do you think is worth having in this life so much that you would give up all to acquire? Many people give up all to acquire gain in this world. Many people give up all. Many people compromise. Many people compromise what they know to be true in order to gain in this world. Many people violate their conscience in order to acquire things that they know they don't need. Many people do that. Man, they'll go down the rabbit hole making compromise after compromise to try to gain something in this world. That ultimately leads to nothing. That ultimately leads to a life of emptiness, a life devoid of joy. Everything this world, friends, deems worthwhile or important counts as nothing compared to the surpassing value of knowing Christ and being part of his kingdom. This world promises us everything. This world says, follow your heart. This world says, it's my body. I can do whatever I want with it. The world says, do as you feel. Be your authentic self. The world says, manifest. <laughs> be the best you that you can be. The world says, you're awesome. The world is not going to say, you're a sinner in need of the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. The world is not going to tell you that you're not first, you're last. The world is not going to tell you that your body is not your own, but you were bought at a price and to glorify God in your body. The world's not going to tell you that. Why? Because the world does not care what they give up to acquire the things that belong to it. But true Christians, guess what? We do. So we again have to ask ourselves this question. What or who do you treasure most in your heart? What do we treasure most in our heart? That's something we have to ask ourselves. Jesus said this in Matthew 6, verses 19 and 20. Very familiar passage of scripture. 
He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, friends, there your heart will be also. The true Christian is thoroughly persuaded that the kingdom is worthwhile and giving up everything for. The true Christian recognizes that the treasures that we build up on this earth are worth nothing. Now, does this mean that we should sell everything that we have and go live out in the woods off the grid and be a hermit? No. Doesn't mean that. But what it does mean is that our heart should not be in those treasures. Our heart should not be in the things of this world. Our heart should not be in gaining this world. Our heart should not be set on that. Rather, our heart should be set on treasures where in heaven, heavenly things. The Bible tells us this. Set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. I was thinking as I was driving to church today how Lord I don't have an eternal mindset like I should. I was thinking about our bodies. I was listening to a preacher on the way up here and he was uh, talking about how our bodies are just a tent. Our bodies are temporary. We're going to have to give up this earthly tent one day for a glorious body. But we can be so set on, our mind can be so worldly and so set on this world that we forget that our bodies are perishable. Yes, we do want to last as long as, as we can. That's why we try to eat right and exercise and do all those things so that we can live long. But at the end of the day, we can't set our heart on those things. Why? Because we know that one day we're going to do what? We're going to give up this earthly tabernacle. And we're going to put on a glorified body. We're going to see Christ as he is in all of his glory. And everything is going to be what? It's going to be fine. And I was thinking, Lord, I don't always have a heavenly mindset. Sometimes I don't ponder eternity like I should. And the realities of that. Because our treasures can be where? On the things of this earth. The cares of this world, like we talked about in the parable of the sower. The cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches, what do they do? They choke the word. They choke the influence of the word. They choke it out. And so when they choke it out, we don't think heavenly. We don't think eternally. We think about the gain in this world. 
as opposed to the eternal gain that we will have. But all true Christians, we know that the kingdom is worthwhile in giving up everything for. I think about martyrs of the past that gave their lives for the sake of the furtherance of the gospel of the kingdom. They gave up all they had to do that. The true Christian is like the disciples who immediately left their nets and followed him and who left the boat and their father and followed him. The first disciples in Matthew 4. That's who the true Christian is like. The true Christian knows that with Paul, he counted all as loss for the sake of gaining Christ. That's Philippians uh, 3. The true believer knows that the kingdom of God is of inestimable value. In other words, not able to be counted. We know that the kingdom of God is of the utmost value and that nothing can match it. Nothing can touch it. That's what we know as true Christians. And that's what we see in this parable. These men knew the value of the kingdom. The true Christian sees Christ as an endless treasure. We see Christ as a precious pearl. Who is the treasure in this parable? It's Christ. Who is the pearl in this parable? It is Christ. He is to be treasured above all things. He is the one to whom we give up everything to follow. To win Christ, the true Christian will make any sacrifice. And this is true faith. J.C. Ryle said, this is the stamp of a genuine work of the Holy Spirit. That to win Christ, a man will make any sacrifice. That is true faith. Paul said he counted all as lost for the sake of Christ. And Paul had every reason to brag about every single thing. I mean, he wrote 13 of the 27 books in the New Testament. He had every reason to boast, but he said he counts all that for nothing. For the sake of what? Of Christ, of gaining Christ. So we must see, as we see in this part of the parable, in this principle, the conduct of a true Christian, a true Christian values the kingdom as priceless. And why is it priceless? Because it is the realm where Christ graciously rules over and eternally blesses his people. He blesses his willing, loving subjects. That's why it is to be valued. The kingdom of God is everything that is eternal, everything that is true, everything that has intrinsic value, everything that is permanently incorruptible and undefiled. That is the kingdom of God. Everything that will pass away is not part of the kingdom. 
because the kingdom of God is an eternal kingdom. That's why, again, it goes back to what do you count as gain in this world? The gain in this world will pass away. Heaven and earth shall pass away. And everything in it will pass away. Again, it doesn't mean that we should not strive to, you know, earn a nice living and, you know, it's nothing inherently sinful in that. But is that where our heart is? Is that what our heart is set on doing? At the expense of enjoying the kingdom of God. The kingdom of, uh, uh, of God is a heavenly treasure lying in the field of this poverty-stricken world. This world needs the gospel of the kingdom. And for the church, we must treasure the gospel. We must value the gospel. We must place the highest value on it. The gospel of the kingdom is what this world needs. It is a prize that is sufficient enough for every sin-sick sinner, every poor, miserable wretch. The gospel is what is for them. I've been uh, ministering to one of my former students. I shared some of the exchange with my wife last night. You know, I invited him and his wife to church today. But he's, he's dealing with... Uh, he says depression, but I think it's more of despair than anything uh, because of things that happened in his life uh, a few years ago. And he's uh, in despair because of it. And one thing I was telling him is that his life has value and worth before God, although he doesn't think that it does. That he's made in the image of God. That his life does count for something. That his existence is not useless. That's part of the gospel message. You, you'll be surprised at how many people walk around thinking that about themselves. That, that they're just useless. Their, their lives are nothing. They're just a, a bag of fizzing chemicals. Basically, that's what they're saying, that, that their life has no value. But the gospel of the kingdom says different. The gospel says that you were created by God to worship him and to enjoy him forever. Your life has value because God created you. You didn't evolve from some animal. No, your life has value. God knitted you in your mother's womb. That is part of the gospel message that people need to know. And we should treasure that message. Treasure it enough not to just keep it to ourselves, but to let other people be exposed to that same gospel light. We see this kingdom as an endless treasure that gives life to all those who come in contact with it. Because this treasure includes salvation. It includes forgiveness. It includes love. It includes joy, peace, all the fruit of the spirit, goodness, glory, eternal life. This treasure includes all those things. The presence of God under his smile and not being under the wrath of God. And Christ himself. That's what we see as true Christians and that is how we behave with this treasure. 
Now, we see the conduct of the unconverted. These two parables also reveal implicitly, it implies the nature of the unconverted. It doesn't say it explicitly, but it implies the nature of the unconverted. First of all, we have to know this about the unconverted. They are not persuaded as to the value of the kingdom of God. They're not persuaded to the value of the gospel. They're not persuaded to the value of Christ. They do not desire to seek first the kingdom of God. Rather, they lay up for themselves treasures on earth. They are like the young rich ruler who, when asked to sell all that he had and give it to the poor, so that he would have treasure in heaven, they would go away sorrowful, for he had great possessions like that young rich ruler did. The unconverted do not value the kingdom of God. They do not see the value and the worth of the kingdom. That's why they don't seek it. They don't think that they need it. They do not appreciate the goodness of the gospel. And why? Because they cannot. Because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2 and 11, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. The natural man does not receive the things of the spirit for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are to be spiritually discerned. That's first Corinthians two and 14. So the unconverted do not understand the things of the kingdom. They don't understand it. They don't treasure the kingdom of God like believers do. Because they cannot. They don't understand why we prize the kingdom of heaven so highly when it means nothing to them. Why? Because their heaven is where? Here on this earth. They don't understand why we are looking to the celestial shores across the Jordan. They don't understand why we set our minds on things above and not on things on this earth. Why? Because their Heaven is this earth. As I often say, for the unbeliever, this life is the best that it gets for them. For the unbe unbeliever, the unconverted, this life is their best life. Their life is like the Epicureans who famously said, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Like there's no meaning to life. Just eat and drink and be merry and be festive. For tomorrow we die. The unconverted don't value the eternality of the kingdom because they don't believe in eternal life. And if they do believe in hell, they believe that hell is going to be what? One big party. Everybody's going to be down there carousing. It's going to be one big nightclub where everybody's sitting around drinking cocktails and, and, and sitting around with the man that has uh, a, a three-pointed tail and, and, you know, pointed ears and, and is painted red. That's what they think. They don't value the kingdom. They don't value the kingdom of heaven highly. They can't fathom why someone would willingly submit to the lordship of Christ. Why? They're their own God. I'm not going to submit to it. some fairy tale man, some fairy tale God. 
I'm my own God. I govern my own life. I make my own rules. I'm the captain of my own ship. I can use enough positive energy to get what I want. They don't value the things of the kingdom. So in this parable, we see the implied opposite here. And why, again, are they this way? Because it hadn't been revealed to them. But also Paul lays it out in 2 Corinthians 4 and 4. And this Christian, we must understand. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4 and 4, that the God of this age, who is the devil, has blinded the minds of those who do not believe. Lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God should shine on them. The God of this age, Satan, has blinded the truth to unbelievers. That's why they can't value or they won't value or treasure the kingdom of God. That's why they won't see the treasure of the kingdom and the treasure of Christ as we do. Because the God of this age has blinded their hearts. And they can't see it. The unconverted instead. They halt between two opinions. As the great prophet Elijah said on Mount Carmel. He asked Israel how long. It says Elijah came to all the people and said. How long will you falter between two opinions. If the Lord is your God follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. That is the unbeliever. They halt between two opinions. They are double-minded. As James 1 and 8 says, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. They do not make commitments to Christ. They did not make commitments to Christ's people. They did not make commitments to Christ's cause in the world or his church, which he purchased with his blood. They make none of those commitments. The unconverted are not willing to take up their cross and follow Jesus. Why? Because they don't see the value in doing it. They think Jesus is just some good moral teacher they do not treasure anything Christ has to offer them through his finished work on the cross they're not convinced that Christ is of greater value than what they give up they, why should I give up this wonderful great life that I'm living to live a rigid life under a rigid God that takes all the fun away that's the way they look at God as some type of caricature that you become a Christian, everything's all rigid, and you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't say this, you can't say that, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't. That's how they look at it. No, they believe in what they think is what? Freedom. But that freedom is actually bondage. They're in bondage to their sin. That's the freedom that the world offers. The world says, yes, go out there, do what you want to do. Don't obey the rules. Be free. 
You know what you're being free to do? You're being free to be a slave to sin. Because the great lie is that God is stopping me from having fun. Because we've been convinced that sin is fun, that there are no consequences to it. Oh, that was a fun night of getting drunk and going back to my room with somebody who I don't even know. Oh, that was such a great night. That's what the world says is fun. Going to parties and carousing and and doing drugs and doing alcohol and and, and being promiscuous in the bedroom. and, 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 oh, you know, the world says, oh, that's fun, man. You're living the life. The ultimate bachelor sleeping around with all these, all these women. The world praises them. Man, they had a fun life. They slept with ten thousand women. Oh man, that's a great life. Oh man, she, you know, she's been married nine times. I mean, she just, woof, you know, she's just living it up. The world looks at that and says, "That's what? That's fun. That's." That's living the life. But what it is instead is misery. But that's because they don't treasure the things of the kingdom. They're not convinced that Christ is of greater value than their life of sin. They're like Demas, who Paul said in 2 Timothy 4 and 10, Demas loved this present world. Man, that's a, that's a damning indictment. Demas departed because he loved this present world. And the thing about it is that Demas was one who helped Paul. He says here in 2 Timothy 4 and 9, Be diligent to come to me quickly, he's telling Timothy. He says, For Demas has forsaken me. Having loved this present world. Man. Demas was one of Paul's right hand man. But he forsook him. Because he loved what? The world. He did not treasure Christ. He did not treasure the gospel. He did not view Christ as the pearl of great price. And that's what all the unconverted do. The unconverted, their life consists of the abundance of the things that they possess. And what they do is end up like the rich fool who laid up for uh, laid up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. This was the parable in Luke 15. Jesus said, the ground of a certain rich man yielded Plentifully, this is uh, Matthew uh, 12, verses 16 through 21. He says, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully, and he thought within himself. Just think about what this man is saying, and this is the mindset of people who reject God and who place their confidence in their riches or in what they have, or they don't treasure the kingdom, they treasure the things of this world. So listen to what Christ says. So the man thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? 
since I have no room to store my crops. So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. I'll, I'll get rid of my 50-inch TV and get an 84-inch TV. <laughs> I walked in Sam's the other day, uh, what was last week? And you know, Sam's always has those giant, I'm like they got 84-inch TVs. Like, who has a house that big? <laughs> That's a big TV. You got to sit like a, a, a mile from that TV to see it. That's like being in a movie theater. Everything, you know, it used to be what, a few years ago, if you had a 50-inch TV, you were doing something. Or you got one, uh, Phyllis, you got an uh, 84-inch TV? Oh, Harvey. <laughs> but anyway, so um, anyway, so this man, he, he builds bigger bonds. He says he would build greater and he will store all his crops and my goods. And no, this parable doesn't apply to Harvey. And I would say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your, your soul will be required of you. Then, uh, then whose will these things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So what's the point of this parable in, in dealing with what we're talking about today? This man had his treasure where? In his things, in himself. He said within himself, self, you have all this. Let's build bigger. Let's, let's get bigger. So he's dealing with the hard attitude of this man. And you have people who live this way. They have things, and then they want bigger things, and then they want bigger things, because that's where their heart is. Their treasures are not on this. Is, is it a sin to get a big TV? No. I got a big TV at my house. You know, the TVs I have now are bigger than the ones I had 10 years ago. But is my heart in having a big TV? Is my heart in having a big house or having the boat or the house by the lake? Is that where my heart is? Am I saying within myself, you know, eat, drink, and be merry. Live it up. That was the point of this parable. And this is an indictment on those who are unconverted. That's how they live. Let's get all these things. Let's, let's do all these great things and marvelous and big things. Why? Because this satisfies me. Look at what I've accomplished. Look at what I've built. Look at what I've acquired. Look at what I've done. Sit back. Have a glass. Eat, drink, and be merry. Invite your friends over to celebrate with you. Have parties at your place. Let them wow and gawk at all that you have acquired and give all glory and praise to you. That is the mindset of the unconverted. Why? Because they treasure things on this earth more so than the kingdom of, of God. Why? Because they're going to have to give an account. That's why in this parable, God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will these things be which you have provided? In other words, you can't take all that with you. Who is it going to go to? Your soul is what is most important because your soul is going to spend eternity somewhere, not the things that you acquire. 
not the things on this earth that you put your treasure in. So that parable illustrates the conduct of the unconverted when we look at this parable. So I hope we see those who don't value the kingdom of God, what their end is going to be. And that's why we pray for them, pray for their souls. Because one day they are going to have to give an account for why they did not value and treasure the kingdom of God. Amen. So in conclusion, first, uh, pursue the spiritual blessings of the kingdom of God above all else. We must understand that nothing can be compared with having and possessing the spiritual blessings of the kingdom of God. Paul said this in Ephesians 1 and 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Christ has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Not every earthly blessing, but every spiritual blessing, those blessings that will count toward eternity. Number two, treasure Christ in your heart. Treasure Christ in your heart. Christ is the true treasure. In him there's an abundance of all that which is rich and useful. Matthew Henry said this. He said, in Christ, there's an abundance of all which is rich and useful and will be a portion for us all. He says, all fullness is in Christ. The treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Christ. That's Colossians 2 and 3. Of righteousness, grace, and peace. These are laid up for us in Christ. And if we have an interest in him, it is all our own. All those spiritual blessings, the righteousness, the grace, and peace, those are the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ that we inherit when we are in Christ. And you, the, the thing about these great spiritual blessings is, guess what? They can never be taken away. No one can take away the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. You know what? Our good health could be taken away. Our possessions can be taken away. Our livelihood can be taken away. Those things can happen. And they are tragic when they do happen. But they're of this earth. No one can take away. A thief can't come in and rob you of your spiritual blessings in Christ. Even if you denounce them, <laughs> they can't take them away. Because they are in Christ. No one can take away what we have in Christ, friends. That is, that is so encouraging. That is such a great truth. That's why, again, we have our treasures where? In heaven. Where moth and dust does not corrupt, and when thieves cannot do what? Break in and steal. Thieves can't break in and steal our heavenly treasures, our 
heavenly inheritance that we have, the eternal life that is laid up for us. Thieves cannot break in and steal. You know, as we grow older, our eyes are going to get dim. Hey, maybe I need an 84-inch TV because my eyes are getting so bad. <laughs> okay. <laughs> exactly. You know, my eyes, you know, my, my father did it. He had a he had a 45-inch TV when 45-inch TVs were big. Uh, you know, back in like 20, 20, 2009, 2010, you know, he had a 45-inch TV, which I have now at the house. But at that time, that was a big TV. But he had it because his eyes were real bad. He had to, like, sit right in front of the TV and watch it. You know, so maybe I should get an 84 inch TV, uh, Harvey, you know, after all. So, you know. <laughs> so, anyway, my point is, is that our health is going to deteriorate. Our bodies are going to get old. They are. But we know that it's not eternal. That one day I won't have to wear glasses. Sometimes I look at my legs and say, man, I got 50-year-old legs. My, my skin looks different than it did when I was 25. It does. Everything changes. But that's earthly. Eternally, we will not be changed. We won't be changed, but then we'll be We'll be perfect. We'll be perfected. And we won't have to worry about any changes after that. We won't look at our bodies and say, oh, I don't like this. I don't like that. No. Why? Because we wouldn't have glorified bodies. We will be changed from what? Corruptible to incorruptible. From mortal to immortality. That's why we treasure Christ in our hearts. Because we know that he is our greatest treasure. And that he is that pearl of great price. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that Christ is our greatest treasure. We thank you, Lord, that Christ is the pearl of great price. Lord, I pray that you strengthen us as believers to treasure the kingdom. Because, Lord, the kingdom is the true source of real joy. Lord Jesus himself said in John 15 and 11, these things I have spoken to you that his joy may be in us and that our joy may be full. Lord, that joy comes through your kingdom. It comes through treasuring your kingdom. It, it comes through valuing your kingdom. Lord, help us as believers to continue to do this. Let us not be like the unbelievers who don't treasure your kingdom, who don't treasure Christ who don't treasure the worth and value of your kingdom. And Lord, my prayers for those who are unbelievers who hear this message, that Lord, you bring them to a saving faith in you so that they can be part of this great kingdom, they can be part of this great treasure, and they can have all of the spiritual blessings that are reserved for those who are part of your kingdom. That they have the true joy that they're searching for, that they have the true hope that they long for that they have the true peace that they desire to have in their life Lord use this message to again encourage and uplift the faithful 
and to convict sinners, those who've rejected you, and bring them to repentance. In Christ's name I pray, amen.